0: Hi everyone. Uh, welcome to the Flutie Flakes cast. I'm Doug Flutie and the Flutie Flakes cast is available on the CRXXM app, free for most subscribers. Just download it today, and tap Podcast. Well, right off the top, let's give a shout out to Baylor for winning the national championship. And again, welcome back to the NCAA tournament after missing it last year. Uh, a lot of fun throughout. Semi-final Gonzaga's win at the buzzer was amazing. Congratulations to them on an undefeated season all the way to the end. But Baylor just was stifling. They were all over him defensively and uh, definitely earned it and deserved it and was the better team. Big news of the day, uh, Sam Darnold, trade to Carolina, which means, of course, that the Jets are, are going to draft Zach Wilson out of BYU. And I just, I shake my head. I, I, I covered Sam Darnold in college, saw all his athleticism, his skill, uh, his ability to throw the ball from different arm angles and on the move and really a playmaker. I loved watching him play. He had a, a turnover problem, even in college. You know, he, he, like, he never gave up on a play, He'd turn it loose. You would think that an NFL coach could get a hold of this kid and just turn him into a world beater and limit the mistakes. You, you can't restrict the way guys play. Guys play the way they're going to play. I I was that way. I turned the ball over. I had a lot of bad turnovers. But as I played, I I got a little better at it and and knew when to take risks and when not to take risks. You're unloading Sam Darnold. You're going to draft Zach Wilson, and you're going to make him the man. You're in New York. Here we go again. 11 quarterbacks in 15 years have been drafted by the Jets, and they still don't have their guy. Why is the grass always greener? Why is the next guy Always the answer. Every year we get around draft time and there are five guys that are going to be franchise quarterbacks. We already got them going to the Hall of Fame. We got four Super Bowl championship rings for this guy and three for this guy. And these guys are going to be competing. It's like all of a sudden you get caught up in all the film you watch of these kids in college and you think it's just going to translate and they're all going to be great. They're not going to be great until they get coached. They're not going to be great until they learn how to run an NFL offense, how to deal with pass protections, how to read coverage and adjust protections to pick up blitzes and beat defenses with your arm. Now, there are tremendous athletes that come out every year. Every year, there's guys at the position that, you know, Patrick Mahomes being the prime example of a guy that athletically could compete right away and then become a great quarterback at the same time. Um, it's, it doesn't happen. Or even Peyton Manning struggled in his rookie year. So the way I see it, now the Jets can say again, oh, we have a rookie quarterback. It's growing pains. It's his first year. It, it just, you've got to, got, why not just hang on to, if you're going to draft a Zach Wilson, why not hang on to Sam Darnold? Hang on to a guy that's got some experience, already been through some growing pains, is getting better and improving. And then at some point, maybe there is a transition and then you can still trade him and, and get something for, him. i I don't get it. I don't get why everybody gets so caught up in the draft every year and thinking that the next guy is always the answer. And, you know, you can justify it in your head. We all do it. You know, it's like all of a sudden you see a, a big, beautiful house down the street that you want to buy and you want to sell your house and get out. You'll find an excuse and a reason to do it. it it's, it's moving on. Now, all that being said, I think the real winner in this is going to be Sam Darnold. I'm not a big advocate of, of switch. I did it my whole career. I had to bounce from team to team. You got to learn a new offense, get comfortable with new people. But when you're coming out of what was a negative situation, when you're coming out of a situation where uh, it felt like I'm sure uh, The world was on his back. And this just kind of releases all that tension. It's a whole fresh start. He's going to have to learn a new offense. He's got a new offense coordinator, uh, Joe Brady, coming over from LSU, a guy that worked with Joe Burrow. uh, And Joe, through his college career, did not turn the ball over. So maybe it would be a fresh start for him. But more than anything, I think what it does, like I talked about with Tom Brady going to Tampa, it rejuvenates your enthusiasm. It gets you excited about a new situation. It gets you just that whole fresh start thing of uh, going in, taking control. Uh, Sam's learned from his last few years how to be a leader, how to take control of an offense. I know that you struggled in New York, but, but it, it to me, it looks like a good situation for him to move on and all of a sudden have success. And I think he will. I think he's got all the talent in the world. I, I, I remember watching the film of him you know, getting ready to USC Notre Dame game. And he could make every throw. He did athletic things. He could move around. And his one issue, and in that game against Notre Dame, he did turn the ball over. So maybe, maybe Joe Brady gets a hold of him and reels that in a little bit, which is also a dangerous thing. I talked to Brett Favre about it a few weeks back. You, know, you can't handcuff a kid either. You can't start pulling back. You are who you are. And and if you stop taking risks, you stop making plays. I I did that at times in my career because I had coaches that that would get on me about turning the ball over and you try to uh, protect the football and all of a sudden you stop making big plays. So there's a fine line there. But I think it's really an exciting situation for Sam Darnold to move on. I don't understand the Jets. I don't understand 11 quarterbacks in 15 years and still not having the guy and why they think. Uh, I, I know it's a number two pick. I know it's up there. You know, there's no such thing as a sure thing. That's the one problem. You know, like I said, you know, Peyton Manning came in and struggled his first year. If there was such thing as a sure thing, I, I look at Trevor Lawrence that way because I've seen him since his freshman year and the things that he's done uh, amazed me as a freshman and on. So maybe, maybe there is another sure thing in Zach Wilson. However, you know, you're talking about a guy that played at BYU, has not played against the elite competition his, his whole career there. You're not playing in the SEC, so you, there's still some variables involved there, but athletically, arm strength, everything else looks great. But obviously and I keep going back to 11 quarterbacks in 15 years, obviously there's a lot more issues than just a quarterback in New York and with the jets. And also, you know, along those lines, you're picking up draft choices and maybe, maybe you're starting to feel the team around it. I've always said this about football and basketball. You can get your 30 or 40 points and be on a losing team in baseball. You can hit 340 home runs and be on a losing team in football you can't get your numbers and do your thing without an entire team around you. So hopefully the jets get it straight and it works out for them. I think the real winner in this is going to be Sam Darnold going down to Carolina and I wish him all the best. Cause I got to know him and his family and um, really would like to see things work out for Sam down in Carolina. Well, coming up my guest this week is Tim Tebow and just an all around great guy. Someone that everybody seems to uh, Really appreciate, it. and I had an opportunity to play in, in Tim's golf tournament. Former NFL quarterback, Heisman Trophy winner, pro baseball player, and you know, I got the one preseason game to watch him swing the bat, and Tim really looked comfortable. I thought it might really happen for him there, but getting a late jump on baseball, uh, you know, it didn't go all quite as far as he would have hoped, but uh, he looked really comfortable swinging the bat and obviously playing the field was no problem for him. Remember, you can get the Flutie Flakes cast on the SiriusXM app or wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to rate and review. <laughs> we extremely excited to have uh, Tim Tebow with me today. And Tim is, uh, you know, he's done a little bit of everything winning the Heisman Trophy, NFL, pro baseball uh, I think the number one thing in your life right now though Tim or the thing I don't want to assume that is is your foundation and all that's going on with that you and I just got back from your golf tournament. what a blast we had. Uh, I think you ended up in in a pond, didn't you?
1: <laughs> yes yes I did I was in the I was in the water at 17 at Sawgrass there's no doubt literally by the ball I hit but I also took a couple people and we jumped in too. well I kind of forced them in but we had fun.
0: You're a Florida guy. We're in Florida. If there's water, there's going to be a gator somewhere.
1: <laughs> you know, what's funny is on the, the the front nine, maybe it was five, six or seven, something like that. I did see a gator in the middle of the lake. But, you know, when we were going in on 17, I didn't even really think about it. But, you know, if, if there is if there was a gator, shouldn't it be a little partial to me? I
0: don't know. You you would think so. He'd give you a break. Huh? <laughs> hey, I played golf with Roanick and Jeremy sees a gator over by a pond, right? The, the gator's laying down in the sun, sunning itself. And this is like an eight footer, right? He just says, watch this, drops his bag and runs at the thing, yelling and screaming. Of course, this dives at it and it runs into the pond. Oh my God. So yeah, yeah. He's not all there sometimes. Jeremy, you're unbelievable. We were just talking about risk-taking. What were we talking about the uh Free solo. The rock climb? What what was your take on that? You've you studied him a little bit? Yeah, ha-
1: I have studied him a little bit and one of the interesting things about him is he doesn't view it as a risk when he when he does not just rock climbing but a lot of different things he, because he's prepares and he thinks through it and he goes through every single move that he's going to th- and so he doesn't view it as a risk. I would still view it as a risk, but I'm not that I'm not that talented.
0: Geez, you know, I look at that. That's like he's climbing, he's, he's scaling rocks and scaling mountains with no equipment at all. The variable there and the way that may end someday just scares, I mean, I'll go take my chances out in the ocean with the sharks and you can dive in the lakes with the gators and we'll all, we'll all get by just fine.
1: I have heard that you're, the, you're a pretty good surfer though.
0: I, I don't know about pretty good. I, I'm very comfortable in the water and I surf a lot and have a blast. And it's at my age, I'm 58 or 106, whatever you want to say. Um, it's a way to stay in shape without killing myself and beating up my knees and all that. And, and I can go work out all day without being sore. After Dude, Doug, what do
1: you, what do you not do well, man? Like
0: what do you <laughs> not do well, everything
1: that you've ever done. It's so, it's so good. Even when you're underrated, you still ball out. And I was talking with the group that you played in in the golf tournament. And they said, when you went to the football throw and for those that don't know, we have on one of the stations, we have three different targets and the farthest targets probably like, 25, 30 yards away, maybe something like that. And they said, not only did you hit the bullseye, you hit the inside of the bullseye every single time. And they're like, it was unbelievable. Every time he threw it, he didn't just hit the bullseye. He hit the inside red of the bullseye. And I was like, of course he did. Why wouldn't he? Every time.
0: (laughs) The arm still works. The knees are shot. Um, Actually, the one thing I don't do well that I'm trying to do well is hockey, goaltending. Goaltending. I've been playing a a buddy of mine is a former minor leaguer. He lives across the street. He's about my age and he plays in this adult league and he got, talked me into it. So I've got full goalie equipment sitting in the garage. We play twice a week and that's my new quest. I'm at the lowest level right now. I'm playing in the, the scrub league and I do okay in the scrub league. I'm trying to work my way up. I actually filled in for the medium league once and had an okay game. Have some pucks fired at you. I got one. Like, you know, you have the – I'm going to pay for it someday. You have the little shield that dangles under your uh, mask just to cover your neck. But when I look down, that pops up, and it gives me a blind spot by my feet. So I just took that thing off. I took one in the neck uh, a couple of weeks ago. So maybe I'll put that thing back on.
1: Actually, speaking of hockey, I went to my first um, hockey game this year. This is a Jacksonville ice bin. Um I'm a part investor of the team now. And they actually were supportive of the foundation. So the whole team wore jerseys and uh, they had different things on the back, like driven. And then for all the, those that are being trafficked, they had worth it. $40 million. It was cool. So anytime you want to come hockey, let's go.
0: Let's go. We're going to go do the hockey thing. I'm going to get you on skates. We'll put roller. I don't know. I've never been on skates in my life. So you got your work cut out for you with me. We'll get the double blade runners for you. (laughs) Tell us a little about the foundation and and what what you do with the foundation and what it does.
1: Um, So really our mission statement is to bring faith, hope and love to those needing a brighter day in their darkest hour of need. And we do that in every way possible. We do that in... Really to sum it up, is we fight for people that can't fight for themselves. So if that's orphans, we we have orphanages in a bunch of different countries. If that's special needs, we have Night to Shine, a worldwide prom for people with special needs. But we also have uh, different campuses and clinics around the world that support families and people with special needs. That is really near and dear to my heart. Um, It's also rescuing um, girls and sometimes boys who are are being trafficked against their will. And then it's not just rescuing, it's also restoration, long term restoration, um, as long as it takes to to give them love. And we have safe homes in um, quite a few different countries around the world. And so, Really, for us, Doug, a, and you know this, and you've been a part of it, I want to thank you for it. But it's to be able to, um, if you're getting, if you've been thrown away, if you've been looked past, if you've been abused, if you've been abandoned, if you've been beaten, then you know what? We, we want to fight for you, and we want to fight with you because we believe every life matters, every life has worth, every life has value. And we not only want to talk about it, we want to act upon it. And so we want to love every single person that we can around the world and, and you know, actively love them and support them and be able to give them what they need to be able to um, make it through the adversity they're going through. Mm,
0: absolutely amazing. I mean, for, for those of you out there listening, uh, you know, every year, well, Tim has his golf tournament and I'm able to get to that a handful of times. Uh, every time you speak to me, every time you talk about it, you're passionate about it, genuine you realize you care. How about some of the travels that you've had because of the foundation places that you've been?
1: Yeah, I've been fortunate to go all around the world um, from Thailand to the Philippines, to Africa, to a bunch of places in between um, a bunch of different countries. We're uh, fortunate to just get into our 63rd country. And um, so we've been to a bunch of different places and um, you know, the amazing thing is for the most part, I can't speak the language. I don't know all the customs. I don't know the culture but i do know one thing that transcends all of that and it's love is when you're able to go in there and you're carrying an orphan or someone with special needs and you're helping them that transcends and you know what's crazy is i feel like in a lot of those places i have just as good communication as i do here because that transcends all of it And i would say that's one of the most special things that i try to share with people is we could be in nepal we could be in thailand we could be in africa we could be in florida but you know what when you have the chance to carry someone with special needs and uh, put a crown on their head or love them or sing karaoke with them or support them or whatever it is right all of a sudden i don't speak their language right but you know what god's language is transcends everything else transcends what comes out of our mouth you know and um and that's being able to love people. And I would say that's one of the biggest blessings I've been a part of in my life.
0: You know, at the tournament every year, we, a lot of the special needs kids are there and uh, this year was a little different because of COVID, but especially lining, is it 17 or 18? 18, 18 Seven, both of them, yeah. 17 and 18. And, uh, you know, it's just a special time every year during the tournament where you take, you know, we're all out there playing golf and having fun, but uh, you realize there's a higher purpose and and that, uh I'm just uh, privileged to be able to be a part of it with you. And I appreciate all that you do for that. Well,
1: we're super Uh, grateful that you are and you make such an impact and your group had so much fun playing with you. And and I I know all the stories from the years where you've, knelt down with the wish kid you've supported them you've helped them you've smiled you've thrown a ball to him whatever it makes such an impact um to him and so i want to say thank you so much
0: yeah that's my pleasure to be a part of it and a lot of your florida buddies are part of danny warfall was there obviously urban meyer how about urban what was it about urban at florida that was the connection there for you uh and then the transition now for the nfl
1: you know doug when when you're getting recruited there's a lot of people that say what they think you want to hear. Um, And he didn't do that. And I like that about him. He said things he believed. There would be a lot of people that would say, hey, if you come here, we think you'll um, be a great player. And we think that you could have a chance at winning a championship and possibly a Heisman. But when Urban would look at you, he would say, you come here and you play for me. And I believe if we follow this plan to win, we're going to win championships. And you might even win a Heisman. And, And why I believed it is because he believed it. It wasn't lip service. It was actually something that would come from his heart. you know. And that's one of the things that I think translates for Urban and why I think he'll do good at the next level is, yeah, it's not as much of rah-rah. It's guys that it's a business, but they still need a leader of men, right? And I believe Urban could lead men. And I think what he does is he'll instill a, a, a culture of character, of hard work, of supporting one another. But then it's also that last little bit of belief of, uh, hey, we're not going to show up hoping we're going to win. We're following the plan to win, and it's different. And you know what? Hope's not a strategy in football, okay? But you know what? This plan that he's going to come up with, that will be the strategy, and people will buy into it. That's why I think he's got a chance to be really good at the next level.
0: I'll tell you what. Every time you say it, it's like you demand – Attent- Every time you talk, it's like I I get sucked into the video screen and I'm moving closer and I'm listening and looking in Tim's eye. Where did you develop this? I don't. I, you're. I guess it all comes from your faith and your belief, but the way that you approach life and the way that you approach things with such passion.
1: I don't know where all that came from. I think uh, a lot of from my dad. My dad was someone that was so passionate and, and really gave up the pretty much his entire adult life to help people that could never help him back. And um, then I think it was also to to really be able to see what real passion means. You know, a, a lot of times we don't understand sometimes the words that we use and we throw passion in the same sentence as excitement, motivation, and hype. And it's not, you see, passion comes from a 12th century Latin word that actually means to suffer. And what passion really means, if you understand the context is hey, I, I believe in something so much. I wanna, I'm want to. i so passionate about something that I'm going to do it even if I suffer. That's what passion means. And it actually came from the passion of the Christ when Jesus went to the cross. That's what it actually really came from. And so when you say, hey, I'm passionate about something or I say I'm passionate about something, what that really means is, hey, I'm going to do it anyways, even if I suffer for it. And so I take that you know so seriously that, man, when I say I'm passionate about this, I better really mean that I'm going to do it even if I suffer. And so that's something that, you know what, I, I did do it for football and I did do it for baseball. But man, I hope so much more than that. I hope I do it for this foundation, for people, for my faith and for those hurting around the world. That's what I want to be passionate about.
0: And you've written books, uh, Shaken, This Is The Day. What's your newest book?
1: um it's actually a children's book called bronco and friends a party to remember it's been so cool i loved it i has been so passionate about it and so thankful for all the stories we've already um heard from it and and really what it is doug is that this is a book um about all of these animals that have been invited to this grand party at the end and um but you have to bring your puzzle piece and everybody has a puzzle piece they just have to find it And so it's this group of animals that have strengths and weaknesses abilities and disabilities and they all work together to find their puzzle pieces um, because we all have a puzzle piece in god's grand puzzle and we all have a piece to play we all have a part to play and the main character bronco who's my dog that passed away last year um, he finds his puzzle piece by helping everybody else find theirs and i really believe that's one of the big purposes in life is you know what we also find our purpose when we help other people along the journey getting to that grand puzzle
0: <laughs> it's amazing that you bring up puzzle pieces and that and i wish you all the best with the book um Puzzle pieces. I, I'm involved with autism and my son Dougie has autism. He's now 28 years old and uh, we've had a foundation forever. But uh, the puzzle piece is a main part in a, in a figurehead of our foundation and, and all of autism and represents that, you know, making it all fit and everybody coming together.
1: Yeah. And thank you for what you do in your foundation.
0: Oh, our play. You know See, for me, it's our son, right? So it's easy to dive in and be all in and be, quote, passionate about it. And the people like yourself, Or especially what I see in the world of autism with with teachers that work with kids with special needs, that it's not their own child, but they are willing to give it their time. Those are the people that I think are just so amazing. And that's part of... you know, what was your initial, I mean, why why did you get involved so much? Why, you know, what makes someone that doesn't have a child with that disability dive into it full speed? I,
1: I met a boy when I was 15 years old in the jungles of the Philippines that his village looked at him as cursed because he was born different. And they um, literally uh, viewed him as a throwaway. And the more that they actually believed, the more you touched him, the greater chance of being cursed yourself because that's how evil and bad he was. And I don't believe that anyone's a throwaway, not to me and not to God. And I fell in love with that boy and I knew he was worth fighting for. And, um, and so that's really what was the, the first catalyst in my life of, of fighting for those that have been told they're different and that different is bad. You think, I, I believe different is special. I believe God created all of us in love, by love, and for love, and it's a great plan for all of us. Yes, some might be different, but that's okay. Different can be special. Different can be a great thing, not a bad thing. And so, you know what? That broke my heart, and it broke it to where I knew that day I wanted to be as good as I could at at sports. But sports didn't matter quite as much after um, meeting this young man and falling in love with him, and knowing this is I'm I'm supposed to fight for people like this.
0: Yeah. What What took you to the Philippines initially? With that,
1: I, I went with my dad on a, on a mission trip. So I was born there, and we lived there for five years, and then. We moved back to the States, and we went back and forth um, most summers. And so I was there, and we went to a soup. Philippines is made up of thousands of islands, and we went to the mo- one of the most remote islands, and um, actually had to hike up to where we, we got to a jeep, drove to the top, and the village was on the top of this mountain. That's where I got to, to meet this young boy, and uh, I'm so grateful that I did because it absolutely um, changed my perspective and changed my life. Because also another thing that changed my life in that story, this boy had two friends that were also viewed as cursed and outcasts, but not because they were born with disabilities or special needs, but because they chose to help him and they chose to stand by his side. And that so impacted me because they were willing to be outcasts because they loved their friend. And I just thought, man, if I was in their shoes, would I be willing to give up being a part of this village to support this person in need? And um, and I'm also so grateful for seeing that visual. That the only way he ate is because they would go get him food. The only way he would. And I just thought, man, this is that's what love looks like, right? That's what it's supposed to look like. Is no matter what other people say, they did it anyways, and that also totally wrecked me
0: just it's story after story. And, you know, I've heard you talk before and I've gone to some of the events and here's it's just every time it's, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, Continue the great work. What's, what's next on the plate for Tim Tebow?
1: Man, um, I I really think it's what we're trying to do here at TTF. We just, you know, got into our 63rd country and our goal is to try to get to everyone, uh, every country around the world one day. That's our prayer. That's our hope. And that's something we're grateful you've, helped us with and um, you know it's really the number one thing that's burning on my heart right now who, who knows what else is in store you know i don't know I, I have no idea i love going after a bunch of things but nothing more than you know being able to tell people that they're loved and valuable
0: now that you decided to to hang up the baseball cleats <laughs> right now i can drag you into my old man baseball tournaments and bring That's you around right, let's go
1: <laughs> it's good
0: <laughs> real, somebody that can still throw and run and I, the rest of us are on crutches moving around the bases um timmy so much fun talking with you i love the stories always motivating me always passionate about everything you do uh it's it's uh you're one of a kind thank you so much well
1: appreciate you so much doug thanks for Uh, Give me so much fun when I was young watching you and and looking up to you and thanks for being a part and still caring and and making such an impact in everything you do. Super grateful for you, man.
0: That was a lot of fun talking with Tim again. Uh, We had a blast out on the golf course. I still can't believe that Tim Tebow being a Gator himself, being a Florida boy himself Goes tackling somebody and diving in the ponds around the Florida golf courses because the Gators are live and well, (laughs) they're floating around. We saw a few that day anyway. Anyway, a lot of fun being at the tournament. It was a blast. Uh, Well, let's move on, Tom, to some Twitter questions and see what's going on out there.
2: Well, before a Twitter question, now you mentioned Tebow wrestling a Gator or jumping in with a Gator. What was the closest encounter? I guess a shark. For you the kind of most dangerous encounter you almost had
0: most dangerous encounter i ever had i'm guessing i've seen my share gators i've been on the river and in the canals and all that but it's always been safe distances or i'm on a jet ski and i can pull away no big deal so it's got to be shark oriented um i had about a seven foot tiger shark swim right under my board and go out the backside. I had, let's see, I was ready. I was on a stand up paddle board and surfing a wave in and taking it. And it was right in the area in which I usually jump off the board, usually just jump off the board right there and then walk it in the last 15 feet or so. And there were two fins, two separate charts. One was about six foot and one was just a little bit smaller. And I just stayed on my board. I took that wave all the way onto the shoreline and rode it right on the shore, ran off on the sand. I don't know that those were dangerous situations. I was never in a position where I was going to be attacked, but um, they were definitely right there. And there was the opportunity to step off the board right, right into the two sharks. So you don't know what the, that's the thing with sharks. You don't know when the, the most dangerous situation occurred because there might've been two or three in your area and you never saw
2: them. It's the one you don't see that is the scariest. Yes. And I will never get near a shark. So we can move on from that. Uh, A couple of Twitter things here, and you can tweet your questions every week uh, at Doug Flutie. This one comes up. It's more about Bill Belichick and what's going to be the future for Patriots wide receiver Julian Edelman. He's 34 years old, battled some injuries last year. But let's just talk big picture. How do you feel about how teams kind of handle veteran players later in their career? Kind of loyalty between organizations and players double-edged sword it's you
0: know the player is supposed to always be loyal to the team and people get so mad when guys sign as a free agent and leave and i I remember being a big red sox fan when johnny damon signed with the yankees and how many haters there were that johnny was going to the yankees and all that and you got to take care of yourself you really do and on the on the flip side of it management is going to protect the franchise all that being said i'm i'm more of a loyalty i'm a guy that. I would have loved to have my career with one team. And I believe that if a guy has done, you know, blood, sweat and tears and poured his heart out for your franchise, you give him the benefit of the doubt at the end of the career to give him that one more year, give him that opportunity. Uh, that being said with Julian's situation, he has been banged up, but um, as a veteran guy, he's still a guy that's going to help that team. And I think you, Give him the benefit of the doubt. And you keep him around. He's going to help your team win. And if you have to rest him a week here, a week there, you do that and you give him every opportunity to be the guy that he is and
2: has been for that franchise. Yeah. And pretty incredible was a college quarterback at Kent State and has his great career as a wide receiver.
0: You know, uh, Julian Edelman's story. Julian uh, was at Kent State and, uh, came into the NFL, he was a rookie and I had never met him, but I went to the Boston College Kent State game at BC and he and I were together on the sideline watching the game. And as the game went on, you know, here's this, you know, he's about my size and he's talking to me and he's like, you know, uh, about Wes Walker, I'm, I'm faster than Wes Walker. I'm stronger than Wes Walker. Are you, are you watch, you watch, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm like, this is a cocky little kid. Yeah. He's a great guy. You know, you've been friends forever. Boy, he showed me, he really did. He went out and had just a tremendous career and made it right away. And, uh, all the power to him, but I could not believe, you know, for a guy that was a quarterback to have that kind of confidence about transitioning the receiver, was pretty amazing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. No doubt about it. Uh, and one other one here, and I think this is kind of something that we've all thought about. how has the pandemic impacted football? Pretty crazy. Kind of, what were your thoughts on how, you know, both kind of college and NFL handled the pandemic?
0: I thought they did a great job in that the, un- you know, and it's the uncertainty of the pandemic of what it was. No one knew how, really how dangerous COVID was going to be. And, and these college kids, especially at the college level, now the pros are getting paid and they can, they can isolate themselves a little bit better and just decide this is the way it's going to be. You know, they've got their family, but for college kids to be that disciplined to get through a college football season and some did not, some, some had issues, you know, it's a total change of lifestyle and pace. Uh, dealing with with Brian Kelly up at uh, Notre Dame and hearing what they were doing and things they were going through, from the administration standpoint, from the university standpoint, from coaches to players and the the sacrifices they made to get through a season, it was pretty impressive. It really was. And uh, hats off to everyone that that made it happen last year. The Flutie Flakes Cast is available on the SiriusXM app, free for most subscribers. Just download it today and tap podcasts. Remember the Flirty Flakes cast is part of the Sirius XM podcast network. The executive producer is Tom Kress. The associate producers are Andrew Emmer and Chris Tyler. Sound designed by Robert Moore. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for Sirius XM. And a special thanks to Sirius XM's senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen. Thanks for listening.
2: Sirius XM Podcasts.